You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love Pour Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Good Saturday morning out there off the shelf. Blog Talk Radio Podcast World, from wherever you're tuning in to Off the Shelf, Books Talk Radio, anywhere in the world. We get, we've been on for 16 years. I want to thank our loyal listeners, the, the many ways that people tune in, whether you tune in to iTunes or Google or just over the phone, chat room, etc. Thank you, and welcome, welcome, welcome. I want to start with this thought, just to drop a thought in your mind this morning to kick it off. And this is from Roy Bennett. Don't be pushed around by the fears in your mind. Be led by the dreams in your heart. Don't be pushed around by the fears in your mind. Be led by the dreams in your heart. And that's from Roy Bennett. And that's a great way to start our December the 11th as we head in for those who celebrate Christmas or everybody getting ready to close out another year. Think about you talking dreams and not being led by your fears. What did you promise yourself in January 2021 you were going to get done this year? You promised yourself you would let yourself have an experience this year. You would do better at something. Did you keep your promise to yourself? Did you keep your promise to yourself? There's still time to to, to finish the year strong. And again, I thank you for joining us here at Off the Shelf. We have a, and I just love our guests. We have an awesome author on deck for you, and I learn from every guest who comes on. But before we get started talking about finishing strong, pathways to tremendous success just came out November, November of this year, just last month. These are a weekly devotional. is not like a religious book at all. It's weekly things you can do, techniques you can do that have been proven to work, that have been proven to work to help you get to where you want to be, to help you to have the experiences and the success you deserve and that you know you want but you keep talking yourself out of. So I encourage you to stop what you're doing. It's an e-book and in print. You get paperback, hardback, or an e-book. Get a copy of of Pathways to Tremendous Success by Denise Turney. Don't let this day go by. You want to start 2022 strong and finish this year strong. Get a copy of Pathways to Tremendous Success. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest, and our special off-the-shelf guest this morning is J.D. May, and J.D. is the author of the book Factor 7. What an interesting title. She's also a wife, mother, and traveler, having traveled to places like Mexico, Canada, Italy, and Greece. Go ahead, J.D., and in addition to being a writer, she loves to paint. She and her husband are animal activists, and she is a member of the Authors Marketing Guild. She is a true artist who is enjoying life. Please check J.D. May out online, you guys, at authorjdmay.com. And it's just a, spelled just the way it sounds, A-U-T-H-O-R-J-D-M-A-Y.com, authorjdmay.com. And if you, you can find out even more info when you go to authorjdmay.com about her book, Factor 7. We are absolutely honored to have her with us here on Off the Shelf this morning. Welcome to Off the Shelf, J.D. Thank you. I'm honored to be on your show. Oh, we're happy to have you. I always learn so much from every guest, and I know our listeners do as well, whether they listen live or in the archives. We've had thousands and thousands and thousands of listeners. So, I, I am I'm just excited to hear what you share. But the first few questions I let our guests know, I ask every guest like the first three to four questions, just so our listeners can get a little backstory on these guests before I start talking about their books. So to kick it off this morning, JD, will you tell off the shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? You bet. Uh I grew up in 
as far south Texas as you can go and not be in Mexico. And um, where Texas comes to the point down at the very, very southernmost end of it. And um, it was great. It was uh, during the time where I could get on my bicycle or my horse and I could leave it. 7 o'clock in the morning and go ride and and uh, not come home until dark 30 and nobody worried about you out in the country and um, you know it was it, it was a wonderful uh, wonderful place to grow up and a wonderful time to grow up now we, did you uh, have to... oh go ahead I, nope I'm the only child oh, okay I'm so you a, did all I, I laugh and say I'm a lonely child, but I was never lonely. <laughs> oh, good. It sounded like you had a lot to do, and then a lot of you, you must have sounded like you enjoyed the outdoors, you saying, being out riding your bike and riding a horse. And Did right. you, have, did you, did you for our listeners, as you, they think about how an author is developed or shaped, did you have a lot of friends close to you, or was that – an instance growing up only child where you had to use your imagination and your creativity because of where you grew up? Pretty much the latter. Um, I um, I entertained myself. Of course, my parents were wonderful, and, and they were always there to, you know, to make things fun. But as an only child and living in the country, um, it was after school, there wasn't anybody around to play with. And so, yeah, I learned to... To entertain myself, uh, I've always had quite an imagination, and um, I, I think that my upbringing and making making myself have to have my own imagination and not be entertained from outside sources. I think that that helps with creativity with people. I do. A lot of times now, people it, get wrapped up in in outside things and don't allow their mind to expand, and and I think that that partially my upbringing assisted me with where I went in life. Awesome. Now, when you were a little girl, what did you want to be when you grew up? What did you dream of becoming when you were a kid? Oh, I think I wanted to be an actress. I majored oh. in, I majored in, in drama in college and art, and uh, I think there was, a, there was a time I wanted to be an actress pretty much, but... Um, you know, I, I somewhere along the line that that fell down, fell apart, and I started writing um, early high school, and wrote short stories and silly poems, and tried to write music lyrics, but I wasn't very good at that. And um, I think that's where my writing went started. It started, and of course, I studied art and painting and drama in college, but. Uh, the writing was always there. And I think that the theater also made a big impact on my writing because I write very visual, visibly, vi- visibly, where when you're reading my words, hopefully you will actually have a, 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 a vision in your mind of where you are, what it looks like, what it smells like, which probably goes back to my theater days, Yeah. Oh my goodness! See, and I, this is one thing I love about off off the shelf interviews is I, as I listen to authors, I always want to go out and buy all the books <laughs> because you learn more about them. And then as we start to talk more about Factor Seven, but before we get to Factor Seven, with just a couple of questions away, but can uh-huh. you tell us? You talked about drama. You wanted to be an actress. And you, you you were painting and you were in, into the art. Right. Who or what in particular inspired you? to pursue novel writing and book publishing? Oh, I don't know if there was one in particular person. Um, when I was in school uh, in San Miguel de Allende, Guanajuato, the state of Guanajuato in Mexico, I, I, I'm sorry I could not even repeat her name. It's been so long ago. But I had a teacher, uh, a professor at the Instituto, and she was a writer a painter, uh, taught drama, and she was just so alive that I think she inspired me to pursue anything and know that if you really believe it, you can succeed in it. And I think that I learned that writing was really where I needed to be because 
it fulfills me and it takes me places in my mind that that I probably would not discover. And one of the funny things that I say, and everybody thinks I'm a little bit cuckoo, is that my characters literally talk to me, and they tell me where they want to go, what they want to do. So I become, I, I kind of get into the zone, and I think this particular professor taught me how to to get into the zone and and do what what where your imagination and your mind wants to take you without fearing of rejection and um the fear of of not being able to complete something i think that that she probably was as as instrumental in that as anyone in my life well, it's a blessing when those people cross your path and when we give gift other people with those same type of blessings as well now you've traveled a lot Yes, and ma'am. we've had we've had other guests on who've traveled a lot, and I can only imagine this is something I always think everybody should travel. Definitely leave your hometown. The more and 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 hopefully go to another country because you start start to not have such a tight view of things when you see other people thriving in different cultures, different ways right. of living. It's just helpful, I think. How has tra- traveling your travels? How has it impacted your writings? Oh, tremendously. Um, in fact, everything I write about spans the world. Um, Factor 7 and the sequel that I'm working on now, it's, it, it, it's, I, I pull upon the places and the, as you say, the customs and things from these other places that I have been and, and friends that I have met and uh, my characters pick up like Rainy in Factor 7. Uh, she's from a, a friend of mine that was an American that married a, um, a cardiologist in Naples, Italy, and I kind of patterned her and, and where she was from, from my travels and being with my friend over there. And so it's it's tremendous. I think that uh, you can pick up, like I say, you pick up on the smells of the places that you travel. Uh, every country smells differently. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, I never heard anybody say smell. that. I, yeah, I mean, you know, the smells and all the sensory uh, things that happen when you travel, um, the languages and the, the the beauty and the antiquity of places like like parts of Italy and Greece, I think all of that, Spurs your imagination of how was it when and and um, I think all of your senses are are heightened when you when you're able to leave your little nest home and and venture out. Um, you, you learn so much. Uh, yeah, yes, and so now it is interesting. You said about smells. That's something I never heard before. Very interesting. On to Factor 7, now for our listeners, is Factor 7, is this a, a crime mystery? And keeping in mind uh, the questions I ask is if nobody's ever heard of Alita Authors, if nobody ever heard of your book before. So is Factor 7, is it a crime mystery or science fiction? And why did you choose this particular genre? Uh, it's a suspense medical thriller. Uh, I don't think I could write anything but fiction. And um, because I think I can use my imagination writing fiction where although I love and, and appreciate nonfiction, um, I'm just a fiction writer. And uh, I, I chose it because I find medical thrillers just, they just thrill me, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, and not to be redundant with the word, but I, you know, I, I, I think that that what science can do in medicine is exciting, and I think that you can, you know, science can be, and I've said this before, science can be your friend or it can be your enemy, and in Factor Seven, it becomes an enemy. Ah, are there plans to turn Factor 7, and we're going to get into, for our listeners, we're going to get in 
and more deeply into the book and its makings and what the book is about, but are there plans to turn Factor 7 into a book series? I don't know if it's going to be a full series, but there is a sequel three-quarters finished. And um, and the name, that the working title on it, which I imagine will be the title, is called Germline. And so it follows the same path of my characters, and some of them that survived um, Factor 7 are going to be in the sequel. It's very possible that there will be a third book. I'm not sure where we'll go from there uh, because I have some other ideas where I want to that I want to write about. So, but as far as a sequel, yes, ma'am, it is. It's in the works. Okay. Now, where did you get the idea for the book? Where did that come from? <laughs> okay, this is a this is really a an odd story. Um, I started writing the original Factor Seven in the early nineties. Now, that's a long wow. time ago, and uh, I lost my husband. I found out two weeks later afterwards that um, after he died that I was pregnant with my first child and only child. And so life happened, and I raised my daughter, put the book on the shelf, didn't do anything with it. And when she was in her last year in college, she found it, and she read the manuscript. And she said, Mom, you've got to rewrite this, update it. It's too good. You've got to do it. So it sat there for a couple of years that I didn't, and I'd look at it as I'd walk by my desk, sitting there, all those papers stacked up. And finally, I sat down and and um, wrote what it what Factor Seven is today. It how it started, and I think where my interest lied in the '90s was it was about the time that MERS and SARS and some of the viruses were emerging in the world. And I found interest in that, and I, I, I found a story that I could put with it. Factor 7 of today is just a small semblance of what Factor 7 was in the 90s, but the thought has been with me ever since that first, that first manuscript. And um, so it, it, it's just my interest in viruses and how they, how they can um, change the world. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You wrote this book in the 90s. And in the 90s, I know it was HIV, AIDS. Yes, it ma'am. Was, like you said, it was, I don't know if Ebola was out. but Ebola uh, was, was just emerging. SARS, MERS, uh, which, you know, those are the precursors, if you will, of the COVID-19. And I had no idea, of course, when I wrote it originally. Oh, that my goodness. The world pandemic. Oh, and, you, and so I'm like, this book, you talk about on time as far as, <laughs> I'm thinking like a marketing. I mean, nobody wants any virus or disease, period. But right. the, timing is, the timing is almost uncanny or ironic that that is coming out now. So far, listeners who are sitting on the edge of their seat and they want to know more about the book, particularly as it, it has a link to current international real-life events, can you give our off-the-shelf listeners an overview or a peek inside of Factor 7? Sure. Factor 7 uh, starts out with a, um, Sam Hawkins, who um, is a, a trauma doctor surgeon in Galveston, Texas. He is um, he's called to the emergency room, and one of his best friends is dying from something very odd that he had never seen before and quite hideous. Um, he is catapulted from the death of his friend into just not just real fear of what was going on. He he um, is approached by Rainey, who is an Italian infectious disease doctor, who also knew his friend, and together they find out about a group of rogue international agents that have plans, diabolical plans, to use a man-made, manufactured virus to um, 
I guess you would say cleanse the world of what they don't think is is should be allowed to happen anymore. And they can't leave the the um the situation to others because it's being buried it because of the the backlash of the truth and the the panic of the truth that they are going they have to find the information to get it back to someone and uh what they go through is horrendous they uh follow or they go into Mexico to retrieve a journal written by the deceased friend and they find out everything well when they're in Mexico they get kidnapped by the Mexican cartel who had financed partial partial financed this rogue group and it's just horror from that point forward to the end of the book while wow. they try travel the world to take to find out how to eliminate this threat which uh there's a another uh, conspiracy theory secret society that comes in and helps them so it's it's uh it's a combination of the conspiracy theory with a lot of truth in it so it, um had you what the way it is now was that the way the book was when you started it in the 90s, or did you change no. it after, after COVID-19, or was that the way? Oh, no, I didn't change. I never touched the book after COVID-19, except I went back just the full print and I think put in two places COVID-19 to update it. But no, ma'am, wow. I, I, it's completely different. But, the, but the, the premise of a rogue virus being man-made was created in the 90s. And then, of oh course, I, up, I updated it. Yeah, but I didn't use COVID-19 as the virus. The virus that is created in Factor 7 is a, a man-made virus could happen. I mean, it could happen and uh, maybe has happened. And uh, But it is completely different from what I wrote in the, in the 90s. There's a lot of research I did, and, and I've been accused of, of – maybe using too much science in my book, but I wanted it to be um, real enough that when you were reading it, you would say, man, this this could really happen, and man, it really could happen. <laughs> yes. Now, what is Sam, Dr. Sam Hawkins, what is what is he like? What drives him? What's his personality like? And what's he like, what's he like, when he when the story starts, is it just like boom? He's right in the middle of this with his friend who's no. passed, or do, do oh, readers no. get a glimpse of what he's what he's like, what drives right. him, what's his personality like? In the beginning, Sam is bored with his life. He's got ah. a bad marriage. She's um, it, it's it's dysfunctional. He buries himself in his work. He has lost the the spark of life. He just kind of goes through the the paces of day to day routine. He'd seen so much death and so much suffering in the trauma department, uh, a level one trauma center where he was uh, head of trauma. That he just he 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 had become hardened and. Um, when he met Rainey and found out what was going on and finally was convinced, because it takes him a long time to be convinced that what she's telling him is really happening. He can't believe that something like that really is true. And when he finally does, it's like he finds a reason to go on, a reason to, to uh, he, his, he, his wife has an affair and they divorce, and he's he's devastated. But by the time by the time he meets Rainey, he's just at rock bottom. And she brings him out of it. He finds a purpose, and the purpose leads him to happiness in the very end. Where, where oh, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't tell us the ending, but that's sweet. Now, what did what did Sam's friend who passed away? What did he do for a living that caused him to come to know what he knows? He what was head. He, he was chief of staff at the hospital, and uh, was a was a researcher and a good friend of Sam Hawkins. He was much older. I I have him somewhere in in his seventies, and okay. uh, his son had been killed by a terrorist attack and he never recovered from that and he got involved with a group that um he thought in a in his grief and in the way his mind had had become tainted with the world that what he was doing was righteous although it was would be genocide and he takes his own life by using the virus to expose it to Sam in the night that he dies but he's unable to tell him anything and Sam after the death Sam knows something is going on but he doesn't know what and that's when Rainey comes in she had been told about it through Dr. Roberts, who had died in, in the ER in front of Sam. And they together go after the situation to try to expose it and to eliminate the threat. And um, it's amazing what two people can do when they set their mind to it. And, and uh, it's, it's their travels and their 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 fears and their horrors and and um what the world could become when people hate mm, yeah now after dr hawkins receives this cryptic message does he continue to work as a surgeon covering his tracks or does he, does he become more of a detective he becomes more of a detective he um he takes a leave and leave of absence from the hospital and he becomes more of a detective. Um, however, his, both of them are physicians and scientists, and so they use their their knowledge to um, find out more about what's going on. Okay. And that's now, why... Uh, I'm sorry? No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, and that's why both of them, and I made both of them be be scientists and physicians, so it would be realistic that when they did discover something, they knew they knew that they were looking at something that was very deadly. Ah. Now introduce us to Ms. Rainey Arienzo. What is she yeah. like? What's, what's her background like? What drives her? And what is she like? And, and have she and Sam worked together before? No. They uh, have, they never met um, before this, before the, before Dr. Roberts died. Dr. Roberts had contacted her because his her father was um, one of the world's most notor- well-known infectious disease doctors, and they had met in Geneva, Switzerland. And Rainey's father knew what was going on, and he had uh, been studying the particular uh, Factor Seven virus, and he was murdered. Rainey found out all about it, and then Dr. Roberts had told her to contact Sam Hawkins, that Sam would know what was going on, too. And she met him in Galveston, and it took quite some time for her to convince Sam that it was not, that she was just not Looney Tunes. And once she was able to convince him, then they teamed up together with her information and the information that they uncover uh, subsequent to their meeting. Is she a tough woman? Is she? Yes. Oh, so she is. She's a, she's okay. So she sounds like she is. So she's she's a tough woman. Is is she's a is tough there... woman, but she's vulnerable, and in certain ways, I've made her. Um, I made her be vulnerable, and, and um, you know, she she and Sam um, end up in love, 
and they save each other accordingly. And um, but she's she's beautiful, she's sexy, but she's tough as nails. I was gonna ask you, and I was gonna ask you if there's a romance, and and is the romance is it sweet, mysterious, or dangerous? You know how some people get together and it's like, oh no, now they, it's the in the end it's like the worst thing they could have ever done, and they both suffer because they got together because they it can create blind spots. When you start having romantic feelings for people, you can miss things. You can miss clues. You can see something and tell yourself, no, 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 that's not true. And you right. can end up in trouble. You can end up in trouble. So, But it sounds like theirs is like a, is a, is a good meant-to-be romance. It, it is, but it starts out, she hates Sam. She thinks he's arrogant. He, he thinks she's crazy. And it takes a while for them to... To, but but there's something there's a spark that Sam has from the very first meeting, and and you get a sense of it in the book, but you don't know where it's going to go. But yes, it ends up being a, a sweet a sweet love and uh, an enduring love. But it's a ways getting there, and I will say that the book is definitely an adult read. Definitely. Okay. An adult reader. Okay. Now, tell us about some of the other major and minor characters that help to keep the Factor Seven story moving forward. Okay, Dr. John Albright. Dr. John Albright was a roommate of Sam Hawkins in medical school, University of Texas Medical School, and they hated each other. And John Albright was was absolutely a genius but he was such a narcissist that everything he did, he did it for personal gain. He becomes uh, involved with the, well, actually they, they, they bring him in uh, to the evil society, the rogue agents. They need a scientist, and they, they get him. And because he is, he has no morals. He does what they tell him to do, but he's also a bit of a rogue on his own. And um, he is, like I say, he is a, a, a narcissist. He can't. He he wants everybody to know what a genius he is. And his mm. whole thing is he wants the world to know who he is. And and. Uh, he makes. I'm not gonna. I can't say, but he he becomes big trouble for Sam and Rainey, oh, and okay. um, it goes all the way. He he goes all the way through the book. Uh, He's a good looking, uh, handsome man that all the women fall for, and he thinks he's hot stuff. Okay. Are there any <laughs> others? Any anybody who? Not not telling the story, uh, but any others who are characters that off-the-shelf listeners would, would want to pay, pay particular attention to? Well, let's see. The big evil man, El Espino, which means the thorn in Spanish, and he is the cartel board who you even... I try to make every one of my characters, the good, the bad, and the ugly, where at some point in time you have empathy for them. Ah, Not okay. necessarily sympathy, but you have empathy. And even as evil as Espino is, you begin to understand where he's coming from. And um, he's critical to the story and and really put Sam and Rainey through a, a lot of a lot of terror, but comes out on the other end, um, maybe where they don't hate him as much as they do in the beginning, if that makes ah, sense. a lot of change in character development, and you can see in the just like in real life in 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 Factor Seven. 
how early into this story, and you have some very good kind of villains in the story and the and the deep connections that they have, like Sam's college roommate. I think that is so clever. How early into the story do others, in the, in the story itself, not readers, but other characters in the story, how early into it do they become aware of what Sam and Rainey know? Well, um, some know already, and you can't know that they know, and you don't know that they know until almost the very end of the book. Wow. And they are they deceive like i say that you know that they uh there's people that deceive them and lie to them all the way through oh my god there's uh, there's an fbi agent who knows the truth but has to hide the truth um there's evil in the law enforcement and the governments they know the truth there and you know these people and you 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 travel through the book with them but you don't know until later in the book what's going on mm. you, there's um this is a mystery <laughs> there is there's mystery there's there's, 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 there's oh, medical uh there's there's conspiracy there's love there's sex there's hate and there's there's fear it's it's every emotion that that I I think that a human being can have you will have as you're reading this book. Mm. Now, will readers spot anybody with people being deceptive and manipulative? Will they spot and know any character in Factor Seven who Sam and Rainey can truly truly trust? Or is it, or is it just Sam and Rainey? They're they're on their own. They're on their own. Wow. They're on their own, but you think they can. You think they can trust people. And there is one FBI agent that they can trust, but he knows too much. And that's uh, all I'm going to say. Okay. Now, just how much from real life? You, this is a story you started in the 90s. You were going to just do a life event. You, were, you just put it on a shelf. Thankfully, you didn't pit, dump it somewhere. <laughs> I'm just saying, ain't going nothing's coming of it. It's like thirty years later, but just how right. much from real life? When you wrote this story thirty years ago, just how much from real life do you incorporate into Factor Seven? Pretty much. Pretty much. I think that some of the character. I mean, obviously the characters are are, and and like I say, they tell me where they want to go, but they're from my imagination. But they're from people that I know. They're composites of people that I know, of stories I have have read. Um, they're, they're composites. Like Sam is, is a good old Texas boy. I mean, he'd rather wear his Stetson and boots than, than hospital scrubs. Um, he, he jokes when he's nervous. He makes a joke. Uh, that comes from my dad. My dad was a wonderful businessman, but when he found himself in a in a predicament or the conversation, uh, he he my dad was funny. He could have been a stand up comedian, but that was a uh, a way for him to cover perhaps for shyness. And I, I put that into Sam. Um, Rainey is is maybe what I would love to be. The you know not really allowing things to get under my skin, and she is that way. You know she's tough and she 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 has vulnerability, but maybe not. You know maybe I I, I see it that. Maybe parts of her I would have liked to have been. Okay, okay. You know, you have, you have, you create your characters from composites. I, I think everybody does who writes. And yeah, all yeah. Of my you, characters are, are things are, are that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What have readers been saying about Factor Seven? Well, they've been saying that it's a page turner. 
Uh, it's okay. a, it's a thriller. They, I had one friend call me in the middle of the night, and well, middle of the night for me, I think it was about eleven o'clock, and <laughs> and tell me that uh, she was mad at me that her husband was not home at the time, and she was reading one of the the racy parts of the book. It's, uh, <laughs> Bestseller has been three times. Awesome. Um, and it's um, in the top ten. It's been in the top ten Amazon bestsellers. Uh, I think it's six times that it's been in the top ten. So awesome. people are reading it. People are loving it. And um, I, I just gave one to a man that's putting wallpaper up in my parents' house right now, and he said it's one of the most intriguing books he's ever read. And so, you know, it's it it's it you don't have to have a medical background, you don't have to to enjoy it. I mean, I think anybody from any walk of life who has lived particularly has lived through the last 2 years that we have lived through in the world of pandemic. And again, I did not write I wrote Factor 7 before the pandemic. So let's be clear that I did not use Factor Seven as as right. premise of my you wrote book. It thirty years ago, yeah, you wrote, wrote, wrote it thirty, 30 years, years ago. ago, right? Right, right. and, and, and so you it. understand a little bit. And I, I don't think I'm giving away the book. Factor Seven, and I did not know this at the time when I wrote it and named it that in the '90s. Factor Seven is a protein produced by the liver. And people oh. who people who ha, who bleed um, do not have the, this particular protein, factor seven. It binds with other proteins to to coagulate the blood. So that will tell you a little bit about the virus. Ah, interesting. What was the most fun part about writing this story? You know, writing in general is fun to me. I would rather write than do anything in the world. I, I, I think the most fun is just sitting down and seeing the pages um, come. And, and, and sometimes, sometimes I write so fast that every word is misspelled. <laughs> and, you know, because you just want to get the story down. It, I just get the story down. And I get up in the middle of the night. I love writing so much that I'll, I dream my books. And I dream chapters, oh. so I'll get up in the middle of the night and I'll start writing, and then I'll read them the next day. And and like I say, every word will have been misspelled. There will be, you know, no punctuation that's correct. But it's just to get the story down. Somebody's telling me, in you know, I, I say it's my character. Somebody somehow, my brain, whatever is telling me, just get it down. So it's fun. I mean, I it's I think the most fun is just to see the book evolve. And I don't write like other people, and any professor or teacher who does creative writing will poo-poo me and say, I don't know what, what I'm doing. I never do an outline, and I never know how my book's going to end. Wow, but it's, you, you, wrote, you wrote one that's hitting a bestseller list, so that's awesome. Now tell us about a part of the Factor 7 that kept you up as the author. Um. I think that the things that kept me up were, was when they get to Mexico and wanting to make sure I do that part of the Mexican cartel in a, in a correct way. I wanted to make sure that it was written the way it really could happen in real life. And I think that that probably was what kept me up. But the story itself wakes me up. And that's when I get up and write. And mm -hmm. I will, I, I think it's those early morning hours where your your mind is half dreaming, half sleeping. 
I become very my I become more creative during those hours. But I will sit. I don't know what writer's block is. I've never experienced it. I will sit at the computer writing for six, eight hours and not even get up. Wow. Because I get so into what I'm writing that I, I, I feel like I'm literally in the place what I'm writing about and the action. I become part of it. And and I, I know people think I'm crazy, but um, my husband, thank goodness, he just he just fixes his own sandwich and... <laughs> And he goes out and feeds the tribe of cats in the yard, you know, because he knows I don't want to get up from the computer, and so he doesn't bother me. Oh, my goodness. You know what? To get into a story, I think that's the greatest reward as an author, when you get into the heart of a story and you're just being rewarded by creating a story but also feeling connected to it and a part of it. It's just very rewarding to me as an artist. I can imagine for a painter it's probably you're creating this thing that is like the biggest reward to me now you also attended the galveston book festival tell us what that experience was like oh that was fun um and and, you know being the the beginning of the book and part of the book is set in galveston texas i think that that was fun um yeah we we really we we had a good time down we were down on the strand the historical part of of Galveston, and um, people were wandering around the antique shops, and and um, I was among some some really fine Texas authors and children's children's books and and um, self help books as well as a couple of thrillers, uh, fiction writers, and it was it, it was great fun. Um, Every, I think every book signing I've done and and um, things like that, you, you know, you learn so much more when you can visit with other people who are writers. Mm-hmm. They tell you their what they go through, and uh, it, it, that makes it fun because everybody's experience in writing, I think, is different. Yes. So it's you know, would it, you it, would it, you recommend? Fun. Would you recommend? Is there is that for a certain type of book? I book. Is it, like you said, children's books. Is it a wide range of book types that you saw there that did well? And would you recommend to other authors that they attend the Galveston Book Fest? Was it a good way to build your brand, get more exposure for your books? Do a lot of readers come out? Yes, there's um, there's a couple of them in Texas that I would recommend. There's going to be one in April in Wimberley, Texas, which is probably one of the most beautiful places in texas it's on the on the the river and uh it's the texas hill country which you just don't get any prettier than that and that's uh it's a little bitty town a little uh you you think that you're going to see cowboys riding up and tying their horses up in front of a a saloon that's what it looks like and uh we're going to be there the ninth of of april there's another one uh, in May in Seguin, Texas, which is um, in the Hill Country, uh, kind of near Austin. Um, so there's there's lots of activity in Texas with authors right now. And yes, I recommend authors get involved. And and if you don't have anything to do that those weekends, you can go to you know you can go and find the the festivals online. Texas book festivals, and you can find them online, and they'd be worth a you know a drive from if you're coming from Louisiana or or New Mexico or you know Oklahoma, it'd be a pretty quick drive for you to get to to some of them. And I think they'd be well well worth the time to do it because it's fun. Okay, now you said we. I wanted to ask talk to you for our listeners who themselves may want to become an author. And they want to be where you are now. Uh, you had you briefly spoken about it. You said you don't use outlines, but what writing process do you follow? Do you do character sketches? When you sit down to start writing a story, what's the process? Do you need to be in a certain environment? Do you need where it's totally quiet? Do you play certain types of music? What What is the process for you taking a story from A to Z? Um. 
I think that the way I write is I have created something in my mind before I even touch the, the computer, kind of where I want to go, where I want to start, and have the idea. And then I just sit down and I start writing, and I write every day. And it may not be a lot every day, but I write every day. I don't do anything like an outline. I don't do any character sketches. I've already created my character in my head pretty much, but they grow. And um, as, you know, I keep going back. You know, Sam Hawkins and Rainey told me where they wanted to go and how they wanted to grow. And and so without doing an outline or a sketch, a sketch about my characters, as as the book evolved and the story evolved, the characters evolved with it. So and, when you say the, the character told you, is, is it a dream? You're having a dream and a character is telling you in a dream? How How is that happening when you say that? I'm sitting at the computer and I'm writing about Sam and the next thing I'm just writing, I'm just writing and writing and writing and I don't know where it's coming from. And uh, it's coming from my mind, but they, it's, they, they become real people to me. And as odd as this may sound, when I'm not writing about Sam and Rainey, I know I'm going to miss them. Wow. Because they're... They're real people. <laughs> yeah, you know, early in my writing, I, I experienced that. I would dream about stories that mm-hmm. I was writing. So, and I've heard other authors say that, that the character told them, this has to happen to me. Right. This, this, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So you just sit down and you just, it just flows. It just comes out of you. It just yes. pours out of you. Can yes. you share, now you've had success with Factor 7, can you share, oh, and I, I was last night, before I ask you this, I was last night laying in bed watching on my smart TV a YouTube interview uh, with, this, these people are in the uh, UK, but an author who's independently published, she's done very well, she wants to continue to be, but she has a team, she has a publicist, she has a personal assistant, she's done well, she's sold over 2 million copies of her books in the UK, and she sells them Apple, Amazon. She never took out an Amazon ad, nothing, for when I'm getting ready to ask you this question. She said she spent like maybe 300 on ads a month, and that was yes. it for, yeah. for all her ads. And her books yeah. just took off and just sold, sold, sold. Can you share for our listeners who themselves, again, they're doing what you're doing. They want to do what you do, and they would like to have success because I've heard some authors say they haven't sold one book or they yeah. haven't even managed to sell 50 books and they've just tried everything. Can you yeah. share, share three to four steps that you take that you found to be effective for you at getting the word out about your books? Well, I think that having having a publicist is good, but not everyone can afford a publicist. Right. They are expensive. Yeah. They're very expensive. Now, I have a consultant now that is I had one that that helps book things like with you and you wouldn't have known about me possibly without her but the I have one now that really knows knows a lot of people in the business, and so he's getting me uh, a lot of of uh, podcasts, uh, a lot of online magazine articles. I've had six magazine online magazine articles written in the last two months. You have to. Sp- I, I do think you have to spend a little money with people that are in the business to get it out, get the word out, but. I also think that Facebook is really good. Um, I have a personal Facebook, you know, and then I have my Factor 7 author J.D. May Facebook. And I I got a lot of followers uh, with just putting ads, just just using the, the boost of ads on Facebook. I think and that's, that's relatively inexpensive to do. Um, 
I did a lot of uh, also direct mail to bookstores, trying to set up uh, signings, personal appearances, um, word of mouth. I've asked everybody who who has read the book to to either leave a review or tell somebody about it. I think that that um, reviews are are wonderful, but they're really hard to get because people people don't find it important in in their day in life to read a book and then leave a review unless you know unless you ask them. So don't be afraid to ask people to tell people about it. The other thing is you're going to have to give away books free. And don't be afraid of spending a little money on on giving away some some of your books, because that will get somebody to read it that might not have read it otherwise, and mm-hmm. then ask them to to tell people. Um, the other thing is, for example, on Amazon and and Barnes and Noble, for example, be sure you really get correct keywords for searches. Yes. Yeah. Those are probably as important as anything are 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 the keywords. And if your keywords are not working and your book is not selling, change those keywords. Mm-hmm. Until until people start you know, start searching. You can't just like my book, I say it's a medical thriller or, or a suspense thriller. I can't just put those as keywords. You have to have other things like um, crime and just make, you know, rack your brain about keywords, and that will will help people find your book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, now, you know, now um, the only other thing I can say, and, then I, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, is, is you have to be patient. You have to be real patient because it may not happen overnight for you. Yeah, you might, and, and some people's books... It could come back years after, and you like, because there are people who are no longer here anymore, and they have, like, I think of Zora Neale Hurston. She was almost penniless as an author. She right. had book festivals and everything for her. And in the arts, Vincent Van Gogh is like the primary example. I don't even think he made $100 off of any of his paintings. You right. can't get a Vincent Van Gogh painting for less than, a, what, 400000 It's But he made, he made nothing. He made, made nothing, nothing right. Was, right. Yeah. And it was right. I, I, you know, that's another thing that. about about the arts, and and that and writing is is an art. Painting is an art. You better like what you're doing. Oh yeah. And not look for the money. If you're looking to make money, and that's your primary goal, you're in the wrong business. You better like it. Not to say that you're not going to make money, and you shouldn't make money, because of course you should. But if you don't, you better love what you're doing. And it better be a success in your own mind that you were able to 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 write that book, paint that painting, and and and, and yeah, I mean, it's icing on the cake when you make money off of it. But you better enjoy it yourself. And I think that enthusiasm of loving the art of writing help sell your work yeah, and without I it I think you're dead in the water yeah I agree because <laughs> go a lot of anything in life ups and downs twists and turns and and that's the greatest payoff when you do what you love to me but you also need to pay your bills so right. you got to be smart right. about it you did right now, where, as we as this interview I have love love loved having you on Daisy May, the author of the book Factor 7. Where can off-the-shelf listeners get a copy of Factor 7? Any place books are sold, your fastest is going to be Amazon, of course, because they probably will have it to you in two days. But uh, any place books are sold, if they don't have it on the shelf, they can certainly order it and get it in. Um, But any of the major bookstores, your smaller bookstores, and I always say – Try your your local bookstore because I believe that that bookstores are are almost ex- extinct, and um, I really encourage people to to 
you know, buy your books locally if you can. But yeah, any place books are sold, you can buy Factor Seven. And if you're on social, any social media networks, uh, can you tell our listeners where they can find you on social media? Sure. Um, you can get, go to uh, Author J D Bay. Uh, authorjdmay.com slash factor7 my website okay. um, and you have links to your social media there? Yes People I do uh-huh. okay. Okay. Uh-huh. okay so you guys get, and you, you can, can also reach me personally and I will respond to as many as I can authorjdmay at gmail.com okay we have been delighted to have J- J.D. May here with us. And, again, her website is author, J.D. May, A-U-T-H-O-R-J-D-M-A-Y.com. She's the author of the book, Factor 7. If you came in midstream or late, no worries to the interview. Once it finishes streaming, you can listen to it. And it's archives. And, J.D., I will send you or your publishers a link to the interview once it finishes streaming as well. Thank you so much. I truly enjoyed your interview and your book, Factor 7, wish you much, much success. What an intriguing, suspenseful, it's got romance in it. Everything readers love is almost in like Factor 7. Thank you again, uh, J.D. To our listeners, thank you for being here with us. As I always tell you, you are amazing, you're awesome, you are incredible. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. See you back here next Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will have another fabulous author to introduce you to. Thank you, thank you, thank Thank you, you. Thank you so very much for hosting me. Thank you. Bye for now. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.